Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. And I think this is probably going to be our last in the series on healing is ours. But that's okay because this is number 20. You know, dos ikas, two X's, all right? Who, and whoever thought of a beer, I want to ask you why. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, says this. And this is from the New American Standard 1985 version. While he, meaning Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was so, he, Jesus was walking, he was, he was traveling some distance, and he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, a lot of Jews lived in Galilee and a lot of uh, Gentiles lived in Galilee. And of course, it's right on the edge of Samaria. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And it says they raised their voices. So it wasn't just one. Several of them, maybe all of them. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were what? Cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. Probably the same voice that he used to cry out for mercy. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? What does that tell you about Jesus' faith? He knew. But the nine... Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up, go. Your faith has made you well. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. Throughout the scripture, leprosy is a type or an illustration of sin and its effects on humanity. Notice that the lepers are not called ill here. It says they were cleansed. It doesn't say they were healed. It says they were cleansed. All right. Um, You know, the healing in verse 14 and again in verse 17 is twice called cleansing. And there's a good reason for that because of the way the Jews thought of it and the way we should. Because, you know, because it is a type of sin, it is a type of a life that has been consumed by, by sin and by degradation. Now, sin, believe it or not, irrespective of what you hear today in the greasy grace, hyper grace, sloppy agape uh, uh, circles, sin is destructive in anyone saint or you know holy one or unholy one saint or ain't all right and there are 
were several conditions that were called leprosy. But true leprosy is neurological in its nature. It's about, it, it attacks the nerves. It is a bacterium. It, it, it attacks the nervous system. That's why when people become lepers today, they put them on a, a, a regimen of antibiotics because it kills the bacteria that are attacking the nerves. It oftentimes lives deep inside of us or of, of, of the victim and uh, even in their vital organs. But it manifests itself in the skin and in the sensory nervous system. It can advance to the motor functions causing claw hand or drop foot. And like sin, it desensitizes, it's neuropathological, it's neuropathy sets in, and eventually it cuts off the very flow of life, the blood supply itself. The neuropathy first produces insensitivity, the in inability to feel. Fingers, you know, you're, it'll get to where you can touch things with your hands and you can feel the pressure, but you will not feel. There's no tactile. There's no sense of touch. The same would be true with the foot, you know. And then lesions begin to form on the skin and the skin becomes necrotic, which is just a, uh, a Greek. We borrowed that word. Our doctors borrowed that word from, from Greek. Necros means dead. And so necrotic skin is dead, rotting flesh. And, you, and then when that happens, the muscles begin to fail. I want you to think about that. It starts in here, but then it works its way. It may not be obvious for a while, but eventually it will begin to become so. All right. And like sin, it desensitizes us, you know. And notice it says here that... Uh, the leprous men, this is verse 12, as he entered the village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance. Now, we know why that is, because they were, by the law, forbidden to come close. You know, they had to stay away from people who were not affected. In fact, they were commanded by the scriptures and by tradition to dishevel their hair and to... Uh, you, I want you to think about I want you to think about the humiliation that is. You know, people don't think of sin as being destructive, but sin will eventually lead to a humiliation of epic proportions. You know, we see that over in the Old Testament um, when we talk about disheveled hair. In the Old Testament, it talks about a plucked out scalp. You know, and because you know that it, it because of sin and humiliation, and so. What you're required to do is you're required to wear, wear tattered clothes, so clothing, so that people can identify you just with a glance and not accidentally come near. You're supposed to dishevel your hair. You know, now, nowadays that wouldn't mean anything. But back then, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, I was over at Sears with my dad in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I saw something that I went, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I didn't know what it was. I asked my dad. I said, what is that? He goes, what are you talking about? That guy right there, what is that? He said, that's a tattoo. 
He said, when I was a little kid, the only people that had tattoos were people who had been in the Navy and they had, you know, or the Marine Corps or something like that. And they had an anchor or something like that on their arm. And, I'm, and that's what this one was. It was an anchor. And I'm looking at that going, whoa. Nowadays you see people, policemen, from the neck down, man. Everything's, you know. And, and so, you know, the disheveled hair would mean something back then a little less today. But it was a signal and you were required when you were walking among other people to be not only keep your distance, but to place your hand over your, you know, over your upper lip, the mustache, it would, it would say, and cry unclean, 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 so that people would not come near you. It's humiliating. You can't live with your family. You can't live with your children. You cannot, you, you become an exile. Sin separates people. It does not draw them together. Even the fellowship of sinners will eventually be driven apart from one another by that, you know. And the stench of the sin and the sickness. Leprosy is progressive. It starts small and metastasizes. That's why I tell people all the time that sin, you know, when we start, you know, if we as Christians, even I as a believer or you as a believer, would begin to dabble in sin in some area of our lives. And we say, well, it's just a little thing. It's not anything major. Believe me, those things metastasize. And they will not stay at home. That's why God deals with us even about our thought life, about the places we go, the things we watch, the things to which we listen, you know, the things we read, because he is concerned about it. Because just like leprosy, it will gnarl and waste the body, deforming us. No, we may not be deformed physically, but spiritually we'll see. God sees sin exactly that way. And the disease robs you of your vitality. You're tired. You're worn out. And your joy. And as your strength wanes. And your ability to feel touch. You can't touch your children. You can't touch your, your spouse. And even if you could. You couldn't feel it. And times the entire process. Was excruciatingly painful. Because. It was nerve pain. How many of you are familiar with shingles? Now shingles is a virus. I understand that. We're talking about a bacteria. But it has the same impact. And people who have had shingles will tell you nerve pain is exceptionally difficult to defeat. And I mean... You, there are lots of things they can give you and they can knock it down. I've never had shingles, but I know several people who have. And they tell me that the things they gave them knocked it down, but it didn't knock it out. All right. And that is exactly what a person with, this, with, with leprosy, with what they would deal. And they didn't have any kind of painkillers other than alcohol, perhaps, to get snockered enough that... You know, you, you didn't care. I remember one time, I've never had morphine. I've never needed it. Thank you, Jesus. But good friend of mine, some of you here know him. They used to go to church here long, long ago. And he had a motorcycle accident. And we went over to, somebody ran him off the road. And we went over to see him in the hospital. And he had a compound fracture. They don't call it that anymore. They call it something else, an open fracture or something like that of uh, tibia and the fibula and we uh 
you know, we're standing there and he's cracking jokes. And I said, man, I said that that morphine really must be taking care of the pain so you don't feel anything. He goes, oh, no, it still hurts like heck, but I don't care. You know, and that's about that's about best that, you know, human pharmacology can do for you, you know, and, you know, they these people didn't even have that available. They didn't. Have, I mean, when they when the nerve pain kicked in, they just had to endure it. And so the, I want you to understand there is nothing. You know, I've just been standing up here describing to you how awful this sickness, how awful this condition is. And I want you to know that God, there is nothing pretty about it. There is nothing wholesome about it. There isn't anything even redemptive about it. Leprosy or any other disease. Well, God put this on him to teach him. No, God doesn't use sickness and disease to teach anyone anything. We are instructed by his spirit and through the word. Now we may learn the hard way. How many of you have ever had kids? How many of you have ever watched your children learn via the university of hard knocks? How many of you are graduates of the same school? You know, and that's why we can tell our children, don't do this. Why? Because it's stupid. You know, and you try to explain to them and some children are wise and they don't they won't make the same mistakes you made, at least not all of them. But there are some things that people seem to just have to figure out for themselves by running into a wall. All right. And that 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 University of Hard Knocks and, you know, that's not God doing that. God tries to steer us around that because he says, let me teach you by my word so you can stay out of that bear trap. Hallelujah. They can, you know, when these guys, they didn't say, please heal us. Oh, Jesus, heal us. They cried out for mercy. Now, of course, healing was implied within that. They didn't ask for help. They didn't cry, heal us. They put themselves, hear me, in the inferior position. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They claimed no right to anything. No merit. That sets them apart from the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees thought they deserved every good thing that came from God because they were in a contractual agreement with him. And, you know, and wherever there was something in the law that disturbed them, they had a nice workaround. And that's Jesus brings that out in the Sermon on the Mount. All right. But they put themselves in the inferior position. And, you know, somebody might say, well, did sin cause this, you know, their problem? In one respect, yes, and that is that Adam's sin brought all sickness and disease into this world. Personal sin, we don't know. We're not told. Rebellion and disobedience can and do leave an open door for the enemy to get in, a spirit of infirmity. We're not told that this was a spirit of infirmity. It appears to have been purely physical. I can tell you that you know, I've, I've, I've met people or I've, I've 
reestablish contact with people that I have known for many, many years. Well, let me give you one example. There was a gentleman, uh, a man who was, uh, you know, I was skydivers are a rough and tumble bunch. They're not as they're not as rowdy as bikers, but they they're there. There are a lot of similarities. OK. And um, I mean, they a lot of them lived hard and fast, you know, and it was interesting because when I showed up to skydive, they were all, you know, when I started jumping, not not just doing one or two jumps, but actually got certified, bought my own stuff, started, you know, skydiving on a regular basis. You know, well, you know, just out of curiosity, they would say, you know, well, you know, where do you live? I said, well, actually, I just live right over that hill right there. And then what do you do? I said, well, I pastor a church right over here because this was an in independence. And they went, you do. Huh? They couldn't believe it. And then they would tell other people, that guy is a preacher. And they go, really? You know, I'd have people come up to me and say, somebody told me you were a preacher. Is that true? You know, it's like. It, it, it almost sounded like, somebody told me you just got out of prison. Is that true? <laughs> You're a preacher. And they, you know, they weren't mad. They weren't, they weren't trying to embarrass me or, or look down on me. They just said, what are you doing out here with this bunch of, you know, yahoos? You know, well, because I love to jump out of airplanes and I'm kind of fond of yahoos. That's where I met Matt. To show you how... The Lord engineers stuff. There was somebody who was incarcerated and I just decided to go see him. It was a, somebody was part of one of the people out there at the at the drop zone. And I went over out here to the Jackson County Jail, you know, the finest in all of Jackson County. And I went to visit this kid. And then when I was coming out. I met his mother coming in. Now, I'd only met her a couple of times. And she said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, visiting, and I named her son. She said, really? And that was the beginning of things really turning around in that family. You know, God can just have you. I mean, you talk about complete, you know, serendipitous coincidence. But this one, you know... At my time out there at the drop zone, at one time or another, almost everybody took me aside, you know, when we were packing or between loads or something like that, and say, you know, to ask me questions about spiritual things. Because everybody, you know, the provenient grace of God works everybody over. <laughs> That's a real clever way to put it. Works you over. And, you know, they had questions. And to my utter amazement, Many of them, I would say at least half of them, had some sort of a testimony concerning, and they would share it with me, about how God had spoken to them supernaturally, shown them something supernaturally. And their question to me was, why would God show that to me? And I said, because he loves you. He loves you. He, he's not, he, he doesn't want to beat you. He wants to bless you and he's calling you. One fellow took me aside and sat down and told me about how he was having an affair with, you know, uh, he was married, happily married, 
according to what he said, but he said this was a woman that he had been, you know, had been a girlfriend in high school and they'd been apart from each other. But, you know, several months earlier, they had met again. And the next thing you know, they're in bed and all this. And he said, I've been doing this. And he said, I, I, re I really, he said, I love my wife, but, I, you know, I, I just can't seem to give up like that. You know, what do I do? I said, you got to stop that. I said, because your wife is going to find out. I know the way the devil works. And, you know, you have got to straighten this up and you have got, you know, God will help you with that. And he went, ah, you know, like this. Well, you know, I, the drop zone out there closed because of an accident. And so I lost track of him. And then I saw him again. It was probably 15 years later. And he looked like he had aged 35 years. In fact, I barely recognized him. I thought, I wonder if that's, you know. And so we were at a hardware store over here and here in Blue Springs. And so, you know, I just kind of made sure I followed him. You know, I didn't, you know, like walk him out. I just wanted to see what he was driving. And sure enough. He went and got in a truck that had the name of his company on the side of it. The name used to have the first initial of his wife in there, but that was no longer true. And so I talked to a mutual friend of ours. I said, have you spoken with so-and-so? He said, oh, yeah. And, I, and this person with whom I was speaking was, is a believer. And I said, you know, several years ago, and I told him the same story I told you, and I said, what happened with that? He said, oh, it just blew up on him. He said it, it was devastating. And he's never fully recovered from that. Perfect example of how sin binds, blinds, and grinds. It'll take you farther than you want to go, as they say. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And will charge you more than you want to pay. That is absolutely the truth. And our nation is in the process of finding that out for themselves, you know, in a major way. You know, we'll, you know it's another subject. We're going to talk about Moab and the comparison there. But he, they, these guys cried out for mercy and they didn't beg. They didn't come up and grovel and, you know, everything. But they, they did plead for mercy. And without restitution and without penance of any kind being demanded, they received their healing in full. Hallelujah. Remember, Jesus paid the total price. The word that is translated propitiation, hilasterion, I believe it is, that that word can also be translated expiation. Now, I'm going to the board, Carl. I like the word. Uh, where are my? I'm not going to the board. Oh, there they are. Okay. See you later. To propitiate. Here is the offense. I'll need something else here. All right. To propitiate. There's the offense. Fill in the sin. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Sin. Big sin, little sin. You know, we don't believe. The Bible doesn't talk about mortal and venial. Trust me. All right. And to propitiate means 
to pay in full. To pay the penalty. Is that true? Did Jesus do that? The answer is yes. But the word expiate, which is an alternate meaning for um, for this, uh, you know, for that Greek word means this. To completely erase. Wipe it completely out. We even sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Everybody say amen. amen. And so the Bible, Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians that God, or 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding their trespasses against them. That's the only way anybody could get healed. In fact, that's the only way anybody can get anything from God at all. Because the law made nothing perfect. Abraham wasn't saved by keeping the law because the law didn't come for four centuries. Four more centuries after that. David didn't, you know, didn't uh, make heaven and, and rule by keep, you know, keep his righteousness by, and avoid death after his execution after his sin with Bathsheba. He did that by his repentance toward God, which is something Saul never did. All right. And so it says in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, and when evening came, this is after the big healing crusade, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Go show yourselves to the priests. Why? You see, once a leper was cleansed, he had to go to the priest, or she, had to go to the priest and present themselves, and the priest would inspect them, look them all over. Sometimes they would even have a, continue to have a quarantine and a waiting period and then look at them again. And then there was a very elaborate ritual with a dove and, you know, plank, cedar plank and all those other stuff they had to do to, uh, to the, for the cleansing of the leper. And then that leper would be certified clean by the priest and would be allowed to re-enter society to get his or her life back. God healed, you know. Uh, that's Leviticus 14, if you want to look it up. Yes, God healed people even in the Old Testament on the basis of faith. Is he, or Exodus 23 and 25 says, You shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will remove sickness from your midst. Does anybody have any illusion that God thought they would serve him perfectly? Without error. No. All right. Psalm 103. 3. One through three. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Notice I, you know, I use Yahweh instead of the Lord. The Lord is something that they do because the second temple rabbi started doing that. But the Masoretic, the Hebrew text says Yahweh. His name is not Lord. His name is Yahweh. All right. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who, look at this, 
pardons all your iniquities, who heals all. How many? How many? I can't hear you. All my diseases. Ooh, hallelujah. All your diseases. Second Kings chapter five and verse three. Remember Naaman the Syrian, Naaman the Syrian, who was leprous and the little Israelite girl who apparently was a slave. She had been captured in a raid or something like that. But apparently this man was a good man and she loved him. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. So obviously, Elisha had a reputation as a healer. They're not recorded for us other than this one, but they don't need to be. That tells us that. It was an established, there was an established legal procedure following the healing, you know. And, you know, go serve yourselves to the priest so you can be ready. And here's another hint. Anything God does will stand up to scrutiny. I'm here to tell you, you know. And now, you know, somebody said, well, I, you know, God healed me. I don't want to go to the doctor and be, you know, pronounced clean because that wouldn't be faith. No, anything God does will, is, you know. And now they, you know, and so he says, go show yourselves to the priest. They're looking at each other. Blink, blink. Okay. They made request. Then they were given instructions. Right? That's like. No, we didn't catch anything. Well, throw your net over on the right-hand side of the boat. Right? What do they do now? I mean, they're standing there and no healing has occurred. You know, it's kind of like Jesus saying, what would you do if you were healed? Because what's the next thing they would do? They would go show themselves to the priest so they could be declared clean and get a good job and move back into the house with their family. And return to polite society and not be an exile and outcast. You know, what would you do? I've had God tell me that. Well, what would you do if you were healed? I've told the story several times about when I, I mean, my back just locked up and I couldn't even breathe. And I said, oh, Lord, I thank you for your healing. Because that's the best I could do. And he spoke to me. He said, what would you do if you were healed? My response was not, I would bless you, O oh Father. I would praise you. I would thank you. Now, those things would be appropriate, but that's not what I said. I said, I would finish my dinner. <laughs> <coughs> and so I knew that's what I said. And I got up, went back in to sit down and finish my dinner. And I was fine. I did thank him, by the way. All right. <laughs> So he says, go show yourself to the priest. And they are still quite leprous. And they begin their journey of faith. Not entirely unlike the man who was told to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And they have, because now they have a promise. It's implicit, not explicit. But they wouldn't be showing themselves to the priests in their current condition. That would be a fool's errand. Would be, would be that's nuts. You wouldn't do that. All right. Priest, you wouldn't even be able to get close to the priest because the Levites would make sure that you never got inside the temple grounds. All right. And so 
Faith counts the promise as if it were indeed money already in the bank. Amen. And, you know, it's, you know, no, it's not in my hand, but it, it not yet in my hand, but it is mine. And so they this was the obedience of faith. When he came back, he said, your faith has made you well. Now, that said, faith always requires an object. We don't just believe something. We believe something. Right now, you are exercising faith. In that chair. You are exercising faith. Or will be exercising faith shortly. That I will stop talking. And you will be allowed to leave. You are exercising faith. That your vehicle. Will start. And take you home. And that you will get there safely. Without some terrible thing. Befalling you. En route. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now see that's natural human faith. And I'm using those illustrations. You know because. You know, it, it just, you know, when you, re, when, you, when you set the thermostat for your air conditioner, you know, you have faith that it's going to start up. You know, you have confidence. Well, you know, he said, your faith has made you well. What is understood is your faith in God is what made you well. You trusted him to be your healer. More specifically, their faith in Jesus and his word. Amen. Being the God man, Jesus, master. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that he is Lord of everything? Now, I believe in grace and mercy. I do. But so much teaching on grace today has eviscerated, it has gutted faith by the misunderstanding and the misuse of the term grace. Grace is anointing. Grace is power. We, we go to the throne of grace to receive grace to help. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. We are saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith allows us to lay hold of that grace. And you know for some. Grace has become. The license to sin. And that is absolutely. Backward. It is destructive. And it will kill you. The wages of sin is still. Death. And you know I say well yeah. But it's easier to give you know. Forgiveness than permission right. That's. A good way that a three-year-old would look at it. All right. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. And then he uses this same phrase again. Like two verses from the end of the epistle to the Romans. He's referring to Jesus and to the Father. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. Okay now what is he saying here? We have received from the Father, we have received from Jesus, power and office, anointing and a, um, a tasking, an office, apostleship, to bring about what? 
the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. What is he saying? The obedience of faith. If you really believe, you'll obey. If you really believe, you'll comply. You will act on what you believe. Uh, you know, how many times, you know, it, 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 we roll up the door on the 206, Cessna 206, which is a larger aircraft, and there could get five of us on there instead of, well, in some cases, depending on the size of the person and the, you know, weight, six. But we would, there's a big hole, a big door in the side of the airplane that's usually for carrying cargo, but they take the door completely out. We put a thing, a roll up thing that keeps the wind out and all that kind of stuff. And when we're getting close to jump, we run, we roll the, we roll the thing up. And there's a, there are Velcro strips to hold it up like this. And we start climbing out, particularly if there are five of us and we're, we're going to launch something, you know, we, we start climbing out of the airplane and hanging on to the side and all this other stuff and getting in the door. And you know what? If you believe that the parachute on your back will work, you will jump. But I assure you, if you don't, you will not. Many, many times riding to altitude, I would fill out a load that had a tandem on it. A tandem is where they would take, you know, somebody comes out and says, I want to skydive, but they don't want to do all the stuff and go through all the training and take the tests and all that kind of stuff to get their certification. And so what they do is they hook them up to somebody who's been trained to do this and has an abnormally large parachute because it's got two people under it, right? And they, it's, it's called a tandem and whenever, and they had to pay, you know, they had to pay the tandem instructor. They had to pay the drop zone. They had to pay for the use of the airplane and all that kind of stuff. And in, a lot of times there'll be the tandem master, you know, the, the instructor, there'll be the student and they will have a videographer who's jumping with them to video this, this, this seminal event in their life. And they're, they're filling, they're putting, they're striking something off of their bucket list. Well, that leaves, in a 182, that leaves one seat available. In a 206, it leaves at least two seats available. And so they were always looking for someone who would be happy to do a solo jump and, and just to fill out the load. And once in a while, if we weren't doing team stuff, I'd say, yeah, I'll go up, I'll do a hop and pop, or I'll do, you know, low altitude, or, or I'll do, you know, free fall. Or I'll lurk the tandem. That's what it calls when the tandem is falling. Just stay out of the way of the videographer. And I've seen people who went through the training. They hung from the harness. They saw all the videos and all that stuff. Got on the airplane. Seemed to be fine. And then when they rolled up the door or they opened the door and the sky came rushing in. And it got really loud because airplane engines have no muffler. Uh they suddenly lost all confidence in the parachute, in the instructor. Take me down, take me down. To show you how skydivers, experienced skydivers are about, you know, about confidence. When they say, we're, our airplane is experiencing problems. And this happened out here. I wasn't on the load, but I knew about they'd already had one crash. And so they said they'd had a crash out here. Several of us were in Sullivan at uh, Quantum Leap 
was the name of that drop zone. And we were jumping out of a, a King Air, which has two big turbine engines on it. And one of the engines shelled. Just, <clears throat> you know. The other one was fine. But the one engine uh, just, it didn't blow up. But it just, you know, conked out on them. And it made a lot of noise. And before the pilot, who is the aircraft commander, could say, stay with the airplane, we're okay. Four people from our drop zone were out the door. It's like, wow! You know, like, why? Because they had a lot. And whenever we would have something that would happen with ceiling or something like that, and we would have to land with the airplane, we were always nervous. I was much less nervous about landing with this parachute because I know that works. And I know I know how to fly it. This pilot is good at taking off and good at getting altitude, but I, gee, the landing part is the tough thing. How I many of you know what I'm saying? It's faith. It's com- My faith is only as good as its object. Well, we believe in Jesus of Nazareth, and so we are, he will heal us, he will bless us, he will save us. Amen. But we've got to obey. If you believe it, You'll do it. When we believe his word, we don't try it. We do it. Hallelujah. What if, what if he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And one of the lepers say, yeah, right. Where would he go? Home. Or back to wherever he was staying. Would he have been healed on the way? No. Well, I'll go to the priest when it actually manifests. Well, it's going to be a while, if ever. They had to decide right then, right there, whether to believe Jesus. Don't don't play around with it because the enemy gets in there. You know what I'm talking about. And I know that there are some people who really do not like this verse of Scripture, but it's in the Bible. James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Don't think of works as being salvatory there, as being, as works righteousness. Think of it as being the evidence of the faith that generates it. If you truly believe, it'll affect your behavior. Do we grasp, do we really grasp the scope, the breadth of the potential impact of faith? This faith saved this man, saved all 10 of them to be sure, but this one quite literally. And though he is a Samaritan, he's on his way to becoming a Christian. Because trust me, when Jesus rose from the dead, this guy was the first to say, I believe it. One of the first to say, I believe it. And because it changed his heart. Faith changed his heart. Faith changed his physical body. He was healed. He was cleansed. He was strengthened. His body was restored. If our musicians would come. Faith changed his relationships. Faith changed his social life. He could now return to his family. He could now live in the same house with them. He could now, if he would come into Judaism and be proselyted, remember he was a Samaritan, he could even go to the synagogue and worship. He could move freely at the marketplace and in the public places. Faith changed his financial life. Now he can hold a real job. Make a living for his family instead of being a beggar. All of these things. Sickness. 
had stolen. And God, through faith, by faith, he was saved through grace. And that grace, not of himself, it was the gift of God. Faith is a journey. Faith grows and the, the, the fruit of faith grows, you know. So many people are expecting a jackpot. You know, they're waiting for the jackpot blessing. Yeah, my ship's going to come in. Well, that unfortunately isn't the way it works. You, you, you know, I'm not saying God doesn't bless us with large blessings because he does. But that usually comes as the result of a lifetime of growing, a lifetime of commitment, a lifetime of walking with God. It's not a lottery. The Lord, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds what? No sorrow to it. And we all know stories of a lot of very rich people who got rich. When it says when inheritance is received hurriedly in the beginning, it's not it's not blessed in the end. We do what he says and expect him to move. We never give up. We never give in. We never quit. Why? Because when we're with him, we cannot be defeated. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And all, what did Jesus say to the father of the lunatic son? All things are possible to him who believes. Those watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and your Savior. I know that there are a lot of people today, even in big churches, and who have large ministries, who will tell you that there is no hell. I assure you that there is. It's not the invention of the Babylonians that the Jews brought back from their exile in Babylon. There has always been the understanding of Sheol and the punishment of the wicked. There is a hell. Nobody talked about it in the Bible more than Jesus Christ himself. He talked about the lake of fire. He talked about, he even gave illustration, a true story of a man who was in hell and a man who was in paradise by the name of Lazarus. He told that story. There is a heaven to gain. And a very real hell to shun. You might say how can a loving God send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Jesus by his spirit draws all men to himself. All women to himself. I just got through saying a few minutes ago. How that I was gobsmacked. At the number of individuals out there on that drop zone who had had supernatural experiences. And they knew God was real. Unfortunately, he wasn't, it wasn't evident in most of their lives. But I'm going to believe that somewhere between then and now, because it's been a good 15 to 20 years on a lot of it, that they did move that direction. I hope so. The point is, God sent his son to expiate our sins. To wash it away. We are justified, Paul says, by faith. We stand before him. That's Romans chapter 5. We stand before him just as if 
I'd never sinned. Now that's judicial. God knows your past. He didn't forget it. He's, he, but he holds your sins against you no more. And I encourage you. Give your heart to Jesus. Cry out to the Father the way these lepers cried out to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that you've raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Don't do it as some sort of a rote prayer, some sort of a little formula, because there is no salvation in that. But do it from your heart. And believe you receive. Christian, I want to encourage you. Be a doer of the word. In every area where you've gone through and you've said, you know, I, I'll do this, but I'm not up for that. And I don't know about this over here. Let the spirit of God guide you. Let the scripture guide you. If you're not in a good church where they're preaching the uncompromised word of God, they're preaching the whole gospel. You need to get in one. Where you are seeing miracles. We aren't seeing anywhere near the miracles now we're going to. But in this church we have seen miracles. And we continue to. It's nowhere. I, it's, it's a dribble. I admit it. It's a dribble of miracles. Actually there's a lot of answered prayer that is miraculous. That's been off the charts. But I'm talking about physical healings and stuff. But then again at the same time within our congregation. We don't have that much going on. Because God is faithful. And he heals us. But there is, I'm telling you, a reckoning is coming. And you want to be. And the, it's, it's evident. If we're, if we're standing on the seashore, you know, looking out to sea, the lightning, the wind, the, 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 everything, it's, it's coming on shore. I mean, by the end of this year, there won't be any doubt in anyone's mind that it's truly it, the, the, the whirlwind has come. But God. So get in. Take hold. Take hold of him. Be filled. Be on fire. Put your hand to the plow. Make Jesus the center of your life. Amen. Let's all stand. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone, available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.